Hey everybody, before we get started, I wanted to thank you all personally for listening to the Car Stories podcast and making it as successful as it's been over the last year. I also encourage you to please share it with a friend, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes. Now, let's start the show. For the Peterson Automotive Museum, this is Car Stories. Today, we are out in Long Beach over by the Queen Mary for the 11th annual Japanese Classic Car Show. Uh, This is a car show that's been going on over a decade here in Southern California. And what the neat thing is, it's all classic, all vintage Japanese stuff. Uh, You're going to see some of the rarest of the rarest to come out of Japan. So we're going to take a lap, interview some interesting people, and we'll post all the photos for you on carstories.com. So here we go. We are standing here with Tim Mings, who has a very special, in fact, it's called the special one, Honda 600. It is serial number one. Uh, and it's going through a pretty neat process. So tell us, uh, Tim, a little bit about this car. This is a 1967 Honda N600, uh, serial number one. This is the first car manufactured for the U.S. market. And, and, and there it is. You can see what condition it's in. <laughs> uh, well, you can't right now because this is an audio podcast, but it it needs some love. It needs it only needs everything. It needs to be restored. Uh, you guys are launching a project uh, with the hashtag Honda Serial One to follow the restoration. Tell me about the car, how you got it, and you know what it means to you, and how it you know what the restoration process is going to be. Well, I run a restoration shop that specializes just in Honda N and Z600 cars, so I'm always looking for more candidates for parts and restoration and stuff like that. And I purchased this car. 10 years ago or better at the Pomona Antique Auto Swap Meet. It was sitting on a trailer, and the, the serial number was covered over with schmutz and junk, and I knew it was an early car. I didn't know how early until I, you know, I got it in my shop and let it lay there for several years before I scraped the, uh, the goop off the number to see what it was hiding under it all that time, and then I was a little surprised. So it's you know, pretty neat to have a, the very first one ever made. What is it about these Hold Hondas that attracts you to them that makes you want to put your life's work into bringing them back to life and putting them on the road? When you're, when you're driving a Honda 600, there's no air of pretentiousness about you. This is, this is pretty base transportation. I'm an old Honda motorcycle guy, too, and it's just a logical progression from old Honda motorcycles to their first cars. It's a pretty, if, you've ever, if you've ever driven one, you know, you get it. They're pretty fun to drive. And tell me about, the, I guess, the next 18 months of the restoration, um, how you guys are going to document it, and how people can follow along. Well, the people from RPA are going to be filming it, video and uh, still photography, and then they'll be, I'm gathering there's an Instagram thing going on, or uh, Twitter, or something like that, and you could watch it, uh, what is that, hashtag Serial1, I guess that's an Instagram thing, I really... I really don't know, but see updates as the as the process happens. Tim, you sound like most of your time and energy goes into fixing cars and not uh, social media. So uh, for for anyone else, uh, I guess I'll just I'll fill it in. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, the hashtag is Honda Serial and then O N E, and then you're going to see the '67 Honda 600 Serial Number One completely be restored and brought back to life over the next year, uh, year and a half or so. So I look forward to personally following it along. I hope everyone listening uh, checks it out. We'll put the links on CarStories.com for for everybody to check it out. It looks like it's going to be a fun project, Tim. It's pretty exciting. Hopefully, it'll be here next year. This time finished. Oh, uh, we'll come check it out. Thank you. Standing here with Greg from Super Street Magazine, uh, a magazine I can proudly say I probably read every single issue of from, I don't know, maybe 98 to 
04. Greg, tell me about Super Street's involvement in Southern California Japanese car culture. Well, we, it's, it's one of those deals where we're not really the, um, the leaders on it or anything like that. We're, we follow it. We've been following the trend since our inception. That, that was our whole point, uh, to not be a leader in the market, but to follow along with the trends and, and stumble through it just like everybody else. And um, it's been exciting to watch the industry grow, uh, our segment, segment of the industry grow from um, backyard mechanics uh, trying to retrofit American hot rod parts on uh, import cars to where it is now. It's a full industry uh, with people backing um, whatever vehicle that make, model, Hondas, Nissans, Toyotas, Mazdas, um, and actually making the parts for them. It's, it's an exciting time to be here. And it feels like Japanese cars had their heyday. They were huge in the 90s. The Fast and Furious comes out. Everybody wants a Japanese car. Honda, Acura, I was one of them. And then it sort of seems like it might have died out or gone, uh, you know, gone away. And it seems like maybe in the last year, not even a full year, it's back. It's bigger than ever. And events like this, like Japanese Classic Car Show, um, are becoming wildly attended. What do, you, what do you think is the reason these cars are now coming back into vogue? Well, if you notice, too, the demographic at this particular show is a much older crowd. Um, what it is is it's kind of the same analogy as the 57 Chevy. Um, these guys may have been kids in high school when, they, when, they, when, these car, when that car was new. Uh, they couldn't have, obviously couldn't afford to build it to the levels that they do now. Um, now you're talking about to 30, 40, 50-year-olds that are really reliving their high school time uh, and, and putting money into these cars that they wish they could have when they were uh, kids. As far as the stock stuff goes, I think it's just a lot of uh, people that came out of the woodworks uh, because of this show, um, because of the commonality of, of, of a bond on the, on the old school market, and, and they're not alone. And how, what about Super Street? It feels like there was 50 magazines about custom Japanese cars. You had Sport Compact, you have an import tuner, uh, and now it's just Super Street. How did you guys manage to, to stay relevant for so long? I think, again, it goes back to the roots of how Super Street was founded. A lot of those other magazines you mentioned were, were started on trying to be the authority or the leaders uh, in their marketplace of, uh, and, and, and doing that. Super Street's always been more of a following the trend, and an average, uh, every, average Joe basically never tried to talk down to anybody, and it was more of a, hey, you know, we're going to stumble through this just like you, and, and you know what, we break things too. And it was, it's, so it's more of a... I think that we had a little more relevance uh, to, to, the, to the marketplace as far as um, not trying to talk to them, but to be one of them. Well, thank you so much. It was great speaking with you. Yeah, great speaking with you, too. Here with friend of the Car Stories podcast, Ben Sue from JapaneseNostalgicCar.com. Ben, you are not new to this game. You know, this Japanese cars are now becoming the sort of it trend you've been adamant about this for years so what's it feel to you to see japanese cars becoming bigger and bigger each year um well i hate to say i told you so but uh, no just kidding i i am loving it i mean I, this is something i that's been a passion of mine for well over a decade uh, you know i've been into these cars since i was a kid and um you know it's just really hard to find information about them in english so um back in 2006 we started japanesenostalgiccar.com to give people you know some more access to these cars that were pretty much until that point only written about in japanese I honestly think, and I attribute to this, before I met you, I didn't really know anything older than a CRX. You know, I was the import car fan, but, you know, if it had to have VTEC, it had to be something from the 90s and 2000s. You interviewing you and getting to know you sort of turned me on, especially with your website, to a world of classic, classy, uh, respectable 
cars that that I think the rest of the world hasn't quite appreciated till now. So uh, you guys, you have a phenomenal website. Do you have any big stories coming up that you're working on? Um, yeah, we're going to have coverage of the Japanese Classic Car Show um, separated into uh, different sections all coming up. Uh, we have some interesting stuff coming out of Japan from some of our contributors there about just, you know, what it's like to own a car, more specifically a classic car in Japan. Um, and, uh, you know, we have uh, more coverage coming up from, uh, you know, I was at the Goodwood Festival of Speed earlier this year, and um, there was a huge Japanese car presence there with Mazda being the featured mark. So there's all sorts of cool things coming up. Um, and tell me, tell me about these one that's in front of me, because yeah, I heard you tell someone these new Hot Wheels I'm looking at. Yeah, so Japanese Nostalgia Car has a partnership with Mattel, and our logo appears on many of the uh, Hot Wheels cars that are vintage Japanese uh, cars. And, um, you know, this is something that I'm very proud to be a part of because uh, I loved Hot Wheels when I was growing up as a kid. So we have some prototypes of the 2016 models coming up. Um, there's a Mazda RX-3. That's a brand-new model for 2016. Um, a Nissan Fairlady Z that's also brand-new. Um, and then some recolors of existing castings like the Datsun 620, the Datsun uh, 510 Wagon. And um, in a few minutes, actually, uh, one of the designers from Hot Wheels um, named June Imai, who's, you know, the guy that uh, rendered all these cars, designed all these cars, will be doing an autograph session. And as you can see, there's a huge line of people waiting for him, uh, you know, to, to autograph their Hot Wheels and other collectibles. Well, cool. We're going to check out the Hot Wheels and all the other stuff here at the car show. Always great talking to you, Ben. Great talking to you, AJ. Thanks. Matt Spielberg, you're here with a group of Toyota Sport 800s. Uh, you have four of them, which is probably the biggest gathering of Sport 800s in a long time. One of the, I don't want to say cutest, but cutest cars, uh, I think, around. Tell me a little bit about your Sport 800 and why you got it. Well... There's a long story about this car, but I was in Berkeley in 1970 and dating this cute little Asian girl who became my wife, and I dragged her halfway across campus and pointed out this cute little car. Isn't it cute? She said, yeah. And we ended up buying this one, which turned out to be that original car uh, about a year ago. But we have another Sport 800 at home. It's, it qualifies as a micro car. But it's the only micro car I know that you're comfortable on the freeway at 70 or 80 miles an hour. It's a cool sports car. And with the Toyota 2000 GTs sort of being the Mercedes 300 SL going of the Japanese world, they're skyrocketing in price. Uh, the, the 800s aren't far behind them. They, they seem to be being, you know, the 190 SL, the, the little brother. Uh, that's got to be exciting for you to see these cars now being really appreciated. They're... People knew about the 2000 GT because they had actually been imported and people saw them. Nobody knows about this car. So without the knowledge and familiarity, there isn't really a lot of, hadn't been a lot of value to them. Now, um, as to the 2000 GT, I think the collector who had a collection needed to have a 300 SL Gullwing in their collection. And I think what's happened is if you really have a collection, you now need a 2000 GT in it. So um, this one is getting more attention. It's not as available in the U.S. as the 2000 GT. Uh, but I appreciate the fact that 2000 GTs are going up in value. I think this, that will drag this up as well. Uh, I think you got a good investment on your hands here. And a beautiful car. Thank you so much for talking with me. You're quite welcome.
We're at the 86 Fest booth, currently at the Japanese Classic Car Show, but another neat car show, 86 Fest, is coming up. We're here with the founder, Antonio Alvinita, who has one of probably the coolest AE86s around. Tell us a little bit about 86 Fest and your car. Okay, well, first of all, let's start about, well, first of all, we'll talk about 86 Fest. 86 Fest is uh, going on its fourth year. It's currently the largest 86 gathering in North America, so the largest gathering of uh, Toyota, Scion, and Subaru vehicles. This year, we're kind of changing it up to include not just the AE86 chassis and the GT86 chassis, a.k.a. Scion FRS and BRZ, but we're also opening it up to other makes of uh, Subarus because, you know, the BRZ guys, we don't want them to feel kind of, um, what's the word, like ostracized, you know, around all the other Toyota, Scion, Lexus guys that come to our show. So we're inviting a lot of uh, Subaru guys to come out, all the, all the WRX guys, random Imprezas, Legacies, Foresters, Outbacks, and stuff like that. So what is it about the AE86 and uh, the Toyota in general that really makes you so passionate, enough that you want to dedicate an entire show to it? Well, I, I, you know, I dedicated an entire show to it because, you know, it's a no-brainer for me. I've dedicated my whole freaking life to this car. You know, I've been driving. I first got my driver's license in the 90s, and I started with a 1986 front-wheel drive Toyota Celica, and I started autocrossing that car because it was too slow to do any drag racing with. And when I started autocrossing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, the fast cars that were, the fast Toyotas that were setting the fastest time of the day in their classes were old A86 Corolla GTSs, uh, uh, KP61 Starlets, and TE27 Corollas. So that made me just like the car. And, man, I've just been into them ever since. I cannot get away from these freaking things. I've I've probably owned over 30 of them. I, I lost count. I don't even know. And Petrolicious, which is a website and YouTube series that does some incredible work. And usually it's no disrespect to your car, but high-end stuff. Ferraris, Fiats, Lamborghinis, Alfa Romeos, Bentleys. They did an entire series, an entire video on both of your cars. What's that mean to you, that, that they're considering your car to sort of join that upper echelon? Well, in my opinion, my car is in the upper echelon because I don't treat it like an old Corolla. If you see it, you know, I actually had my car, um, my Koki, my 1986 one. Um, I actually had that thing restored at Newport Exotic Cars back in uh, year 2000. It was already super clean, but, you know, the car that rolled out of the paint booth right before mine was a, a Lamborghini Countach. So, like, you know, we put a lot of money into preserving this car because I knew it was going to be a cult classic collector car. Um, so, yeah, I don't treat it like an old piece of junk. Now, you know, people might say, like, what the hell is this guy on crack? He, he thinks his car is the same as, like, an old Porsche or an old, you know, Ferrari or something like that. But, you know, to be honest, you know, th this car connects with me and with my, I don't know if you call it my demographic, but for my age group. Because these cars were the shit when we were in... Um, high school or just out of high school just in college you know they were they were just really cool and i've always just like i've always liked this car um i started first wrenching on my cars i learned how to work on cars because of my a86 i met a lot of really good friends that i you know they're like lifelong friends now because of a86s and a86 culture and antonio uh it's so great to hear that these types of relationships form the only thing you haven't done is you haven't said when the date of 86 Fest is. So let, let everyone know when they can come to 86 Fest. 86 Fest is next week. It's Sunday, September 27th at Auto Club Speedway. So hopefully you guys listen to this podcast before the event 
come out, tell them AJ from uh, um, from the Peterson Museum sent you, and you know, like, you know, let's go out there and check out all the A86s and also the new cars, the Scion FRS and the Subaru BRZ. You guys could actually test drive the new Scion IM and the Scion IA on our autocross, and that's pretty cool, you know. Nobody, nobody else does that type of stuff. Well, we're going to see you out there. We'll put all the links on carstories.com next week, 86 Fest. If you're in the area, be sure to check it out. Antonio, always great talking to you. Awesome. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. We're not in a booth. We're in a compound here at Mazda. They have some of the coolest cars spanning their entire heritage, uh, from the new MX-5 uh, and the CX-3 all the way down to the earliest, the RX-2s, RX-7s. Uh, there's a Cosmo here, first-generation Miata. I am standing with Jacob Brown, who not only is an enthusiastic guy from Mazda, but probably one of the most enthusiastic guys I know. So, Jacob, tell me a little bit about what you guys brought out today. Okay, uh, this is going to sound like a classic radio station. We have everything from the 80s, 90s, and today. Actually, we have a, we have a 1972 co- uh, RX2, which was a car and driver race car, a 1967 short wheelbase Cosmo Sport 110S. We have a 1988 uh, 323 GTX, which was a little all-wheel drive hatchback. We have a 1990 Miata, which was number 15 from the Chicago Auto Show. A 2002 left-hand drive Spirit R Mazda RX-7, which is the only one in the world. And then a pair of 2016s, the MX-5 Miata and the CX-3. And you guys are making a over-the-top statement of, hey, we are here at the Japanese Classic Cars Show. Why is it so important to be at a show like this and show off your heritage? Because Mazda is a brand that is steeped with heritage. Uh, frankly, Mazda has been around for nearly 100 years at this point, And we have a story that needs to be told. We have a story that, that we now have the ability to tell to the best, uh, to the best of our resources. And it's uh, a brand that, that isn't another Tokyo brand. It, Mazda came from Hiroshima. It survived the atomic bomb blast. It rebuilt. It rebuilt with Hiroshima. And it is strong and revitalized uh, as, it, as it is with an all-new lineup of Skyactiv uh, platforms and technologies. And um, we just want to be able to tell the story of how, the, how Mazda is basically the little brand that could and the little brand that continues to do. You guys are definitely the most enthusiastic brand I get to talk to. Last time we spoke was at Pebble Beach with Jeremy Barnes, uh, the head of PR. And he, was, he told me that Mazda still develops a rotary engine, although they aren't in a car. And I found that fascinating, that they still have a team working on the rotary engine. Could we ever see that come back? Is that engine being used for something? Uh, what, what is going into the technology of the rotary today? I found it surprising that the other day Fox News had a report on uh, that the uh, that Mazda was still developing a rotary. I'm kind of hoping that it gets on Bill O'Reilly. Anyhow, uh, with that being said, uh, Mazda's always been developing rotary. Ma- rotary is in Mazda's DNA, and um, even when the RX-8 went out of production in 2012, uh, rotary development continued. Uh, there was a range extender Mazda 2 that came out uh, that was a plug-in, or that was a, a hybrid vehicle. I'm sorry, that was a little bit before my time, but it was a range extended hybrid. And um, there are engines that uh, were developed, continue to be developed, and will be continued to be developed uh, regarding the rot- uh, regarding rotary and rotary technologies. If the platform, if the car is right, then absolutely we're going to do it. Um, there's nothing announced at this point, but rotary is in Mazda's DNA, much as a lot of other unique technologies. And if there is a platform with which to do it at some point or another, 
Um, it's ju it just has to make sense. It has to make sense from a business case. It has to make sense from a product case. And we have nothing right now that that can maybe that that could take that sort of technology. But um, could something show up in the future? Absolutely. And you put together an incredible compound here of cars. When these all leave today, you get your pick of one car to drive off the lawn back into the truck. Which car is it going to be? Oh, without a doubt, the uh, 2002 Mazda RX-7 Spirit R. It was a one-off. Uh, Spirit R's were the last 1,500 RX-7s, FDs, uh, built in Japan. There were 1,500 of them. They were twin-turbo, about two, 276 quote-unquote horsepower. It was really about probably 320 to 350. Lightweight, higher performance. Uh, I just got my first sample of an RX-7 the other week, and... Frankly, it's fantastic. Uh, if you've never driven an RX-7, everybody out there in radio and podcast land, you owe it to yourself. Please do. The RX-7 Spirit R is, frankly, that much better. Well, Jacob, your passion has definitely converted me into a Mazda fan. Not even converted me, just made me appreciate the brand of Mazda and the lineup and the cars and the history and heritage so much. So always great talking to you, and I can't wait to see what you guys come out with next. You too, AJ. Thank you very much, and uh, catch you soon. Uh, look forward to talking to you more about other cool stuff. We're standing here at Oceanside at Japanese Classic Car Show with Nissan and Steve Yeager from Nissan. Some very cool classic cars. Tell us about what you guys brought out today. Well, we've got a Datsun 411 1967 that we're standing by, uh, 38,000 original mile car out of Pennsylvania of all places. Uh, Well-maintained car. Very popular. We have a uh, 510, a 72 Datsun 510. Both of those cars are from the Lane Collection, uh, our heritage collection here in North America in Tennessee. Uh, we keep them in Nashville. Uh, we have two special guest cars from the Zama Collection in Japan, the mothership, as so to speak. Um, a beautiful Bluebird GTX uh, sedan and uh, the R390 GT race car. Uh, probably never been in the United States before, so it's a big, uh, big draw, the Lamar car. And then we brought our, our new Titan, pulling a, uh, a little 223 panel truck on a trailer. Uh, our new Titan's not out yet, but uh, it's a chance for people to see it. And our new Maxima, which uh, is on sale now. So got a, a nice collection here. You know, I saw this Dotson, uh, these two Dotsons in front of us. I first saw, believe I saw up at Pebble Beach in Monterey uh, about a month ago. And, you know, it's so funny because it's nothing but the rarest and the most expensive cars in the world being driven around. And these two little Japanese sedans seem to be the standout cars and, and the loves of the crowd. What was the idea behind bringing those two cars up to Pebble Beach? Well, we wanted to, we wanted to showcase uh, our heritage in four-door sedans and with the Maxima being the newest. So we drove a couple of Maximas with the 411 and the 510 all the way from L.A., up to Carmel, and they did really well up US-1. And I think the oddity of having them there, yeah, with all the Ferraris and, and muscle cars and supercars up there, uh, there's something to be said for little, dependable four-door cars with clean lines uh, in good shape that uh, people gravitate to. And, and this, this show here is full of them. And uh, up there, they're a little bit more of a rarity. Yeah, it's very rare to see, anywhere to see stuff like this, so it's always a pleasure. Um, my last question for you is, you have stuff like the 510, and you have your history and the heritage of the Bluebird and the race cars. How does that sort of invoke, or sort of, is is that used as a muse to make things like the new Maxima and, and this giant Titan behind us here? 
Well, Titan is obviously playing in a truck market in the U.S. It's a little bit of a different animal. And with Cummins, the partnership with Cummins Diesel, it's going to be quite a capable towing platform and uh, pickup, full-size pickup truck platform. With the Maxima, the 300 horsepower, the uh, nimble uh, steering, uh, yeah, obviously it's a much bigger car than our heritage cars, but it still has that fun-to-drive and affordable uh, kind of cachet that uh, Nissan's known for. It's kind of like what the 510's grown up to become. It, it has, and I think the, you know, the, the, the market has changed and the cars have changed along with them. All right, well, thank you so much. We're going to take a lap and see all the other cars here today at the Japanese Classic Cars Show. Well, thanks for stopping by. Well, that's going to do it from the 11th Annual Japanese Classic Cars Show here in Long Beach. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. For photos, links, and more, make sure you go to carstories.com. And keep listening to Car Stories every Tuesday for new episodes at carstories.com. (laughs) 